a break, a quick break from our uh, study of Acts to look in Romans chapter 1 if you want to turn there. We're going to talk about the Reformation today um, because on October 31st of 1517, uh, a, a, a monk named Martin Luther, who was also a, a theology professor, staked on the door of the, of the castle church or the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany, 95 theses that broke from the established church of the time. Now, as it happens, um, Jill and I were actually in Wittenberg about two years ago. So these are, these are pictures I took. Uh, and you can see why it's called Castle Church, right? <laughs> or All Saints Church. But there's two All Saints Churches, so they call this one Cas uh, Castle Church because of the way it looks. And this is the interior of it. And I just want you, I pointed out to a couple of people this morning as I've talked, um, this, was, this church was consecrated by the Roman Catholic Church in 1330, 150 years before uh, Christopher Columbus set foot on the, the, the uh, Mayflower. This church was, was a working church, and it is still a working church today. Two years ago, there were services there. So all of this granite and marble was all carved by hand by people in, in the 1300s to build, so it's incredible. But there's also, the next picture is a picture of the doors that Martin Luther tacked the 95 Theses to. Now, you can see what they've done now is they have engraved those into the door. So it's actually engraved in the doors, these 95 Theses. So it went from an established Catholic church to a Lutheran church, named for Martin Luther, uh, in 1517, actually with the Edict of Worms in 1521. But I wanted to talk about, I don't want to talk about uh, the Reformation as a... Uh, as like I'm putting down the Catholic Church. That's not my point. It really is established religion that becomes too powerful, that becomes a problem. And, and that was really the problem of the time. And so what Martin Luther did was in these 95 theses is he set out these 95 theses or proposals saying, this is what the Bible says. How do you answer this? And, that's, and so we got back to biblical Christianity by doing this. Now, he had some very specific things that he saw, and, and what sparked it was Romans 1, 16 and 17. And there were some very specific things that caused Rever Reformation Day, and that was salvation by grace alone, justification by faith alone, the Bible as the final authority for all of life, and what we call today the priesthood of the believer. Every believer in Jesus Christ has a direct connection to God through Christ. We don't have to go through a priest or a pastor or somebody else. We have a direct connection. So that was what, the, uh, what, what Martin Luther proposed in these 95 theses that got us to to where we are today. Now, the Reformation caused the Protestant church, and the Protestant church is a, a general term meaning all churches uh, 
Lutheran, Catholic, or Lutheran Baptist, uh, Bible churches, non-denominational churches, Presbyterian churches, all of these churches that are not part of the Catholic church. So, so let's read Romans 1, 16 and 17. Two slides. One more. It is up here behind me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So let's first talk about the gospel. The gospel is, is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, you know the gospel, but I'm going to give it to you in a sentence, and that is that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death for our sin, rose on the third day to give us life and to empower us to live, to reign in our lives. There's, there's, the, uh, there's the gospel in a sentence. And the, the good news of Jesus Christ, these verses say, and, and Martin Luther saw, that this is the power of God. It is the power of God in the gospel. And so you, you've heard me say many times that when we open this, we encounter God. We encounter God here. It's not a book written about God. It's an encounter with God. And and. Romans 6, 1, 16 and 17 says that the gospel is the power of God. So when we are engaged with the gospel, we are engaged with the power of God. When we share the gospel with someone else, we are doing it in the power of God. We are an encountering God in the gospel. When we say it, when we hear it, we have an encounter with God. And because, you know, D.L. Moody once said, that the gospel is a lion. We don't need to protect it. We don't need to defend it. We just need to let it loose. Because we tend to keep the gospel in a cage, don't we? We, can, we tend to keep the gospel in us and, and go, well, you know, that person needs Jesus. Well, then go tell them. <laughs> because we keep it caged up. D.L. Moody was right. We just need to set the, the gospel loose. Because it is the power of God to salvation. And it's not just forgiveness of sin. We tend to focus on the forgiveness of sin. It's not just forgiveness of sin. It is a total rescue from darkness to light. From death to life. It is a complete and, and total rescue. So we need to set the gospel loose. Now, there's a couple of important points that I want to uh, draw out. Salvation is the work of the power of God, so it's not dependent upon our power. It's not dependent upon our powerlessness to live correctly. Does anybody here got that nailed down? You're living right? Yeah, me neither. So it is the power of God in the gospel to salvation. It's not about what we can do. It's about what he has done. It's about his work in us. Now, the, the, the Bible presents salvation as a lifelong thing. 
the Bible presents it as I am saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. And it presents it that way because it has a beginning point of faith when you place your faith in it. But it, the gospel is not done with you at that point. The gospel is still transforming you. It is still making you new. It is still showing you what, how you should live. The gospel's not done with you at the point of faith. And, it, and it, so it carries you. It's the power of God that carries you from that point of faith where you trust Christ all the way to when you are with Christ in glory. That's how the, the Bible presents salvation. And, and, and so what we see here is that salvation is the power of God. It's the grace of God. It's not about how we live. It's about what Christ has done. We are not going to get it right. We, but, but Christ has gotten it right for us. Now, the gospel also serves the eternal purpose of God. If you look back in, in Genesis, you see that we were born, mankind was made, formed for a relationship with God. We were formed for a relationship with God. But sin came and broke that relationship. And so God, all the way back in Genesis 3, said he was going to fix this. And he did in Christ. And so we are now restored to relationship with God through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So it, it fits the eternal purpose of God because we can now live like we were designed to live in relationship with God. We were never designed to do this on our own. We were designed to live in relationship with God. And now we can because of the, the power of the gospel. And, the, and, and I would point out again, the gospel rescues everyone who believes. Everyone. I don't care if you grew up in church or not. I don't care if you're, what color you are, what social status you have, what, what rank you've, you've risen to. If you trust Christ, you are saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. Salvation begins its work in you. The power of God begins its work in you when you trust Christ. Now, I think this struck Martin Luther because at the time, the established church said that salvation belonged to the church and was given and taken by the church. Salvation belongs to God. It is the very power of God. And so, you are saved by that gospel of Jesus Christ, by the virgin birth, sinless life, substitutionary death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are saved. Salvation belongs to God, not the church. So verse 17 tells us that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Now let's first talk about righteousness, and then we'll talk about from faith to faith. Righteousness is, we, we need to understand righteousness in the terms it's used. In, the, in, in Scripture, we see righteousness not as a standard. We tend to think of it as a standard and sort of a sliding scale. You know, there's unrighteousness and righteousness. We're somewhere in here, and 
So we, we think of it as a, as a scale or, or something to attain to. Righteousness in Scripture is a covenant term. It's about being faithful to the covenant. God is righteous because he is always faithful to the covenant. Did the people of Israel always follow the covenant they made with God? No. Do you and I always follow the covenant that we have with God? No. But God remains faithful. That's why he's righteous. He's righteous because he's the covenant-keeping God. And so we, we need to understand righteousness as a relational term. We are righteous in relation with God and, with, and in relation to other people. We have no righteousness apart from Christ. None. It is imparted to us by the death and resurrection of Christ, by the grace of God. It is given to us. So, and it's revealed, he says here, from faith to faith, or, or from faith for faith, or by faith from first to last. It's, it's translated different ways. This is a Jewish idiom that's, trans, that's then transcribed from Hebrew to Greek and Greek to English. So it just comes across kind of funny. From faith to faith, from faith for faith. The idea of this is it begins with faith and it ends with faith. It is beginning to end, it's about faith. Righteousness is about faith from beginning to end. So we, we are given righteousness, we are given this covenant relationship, we are, given, we are declared innocent by faith. As, as Martin Luther said in, in Latin, he said, sola fide, which is faith alone. By faith, we are made righteous. There is no other righteousness. There is no other way to become righteous. We are made, made righteous by faith. And again, this struck, uh, this struck Martin Luther because the church of the time, which was incredibly corrupt, the church of the time said that you earned your way to righteousness. They used righteousness as a scale and said, okay, we're, we're there, but you're not. Righteousness isn't a scale. Righteousness is a relational term. It's a faithfulness. And we are given it, granted it, imparted it by God when we come to faith in Christ. Now, what am I talking about when I talk about faith? Well, faith, uh, I often say from this platform that we can substitute the word trust for faith. Here's why I say that. This is a Webster's Webster's definition of trust. It's assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone. It is a dependence on something for the future, and it is a property interest held by one person for the benefit of another, putting your, your estate in trust. So think about that in terms of how our faith is our trust. We have an assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, truth of God. We know God always keeps his word. He always did. We can see it through history. We can see it through the Old Testament. We can see in the New Testament he continues to keep his word. 
His plan always happens. And so we can see that, that we rely on His character, on His ability, on His strength, on His truth. We rely on His faithfulness. We rely on His righteousness, that He will keep the covenant. We can depend upon God for our future. As I said before, I am saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. You know, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, that means that we have a place in heaven. We have a property interest in heaven being held for us in trust. I have a place there. So do you. We're just waiting to get there now. So we have a property interest, literally a property interest in, in the trust of God. So our faith, or trust, as I think is better said, is in the God who is always righteous, always faithful, always does what he says. And his character, his righteousness, his faithfulness carries us through. We are in relationship with him again because of this. Now, what Luther was, what Martin Luther was reacting to was the church of the time, again, I, I, as I said, it was very corrupt at the time. The, the established church was selling indulgences. Now, what this indulgence meant was by paying a fee and by doing, some, doing the things that the priest said, you could be forgiven for a sin. So all you had to do was pay and do this stuff. And then your, your sin was forgiven. Now, they were selling these indulgences because they were trying to build a, a, a church in Rome. So there, it was a fundraiser. Selling indulgences as a fundraiser. Now, no, we don't sell indulgences here. God doesn't work on indulgences. Christ has paid it all. So we don't need indulgences. But here's the thing. I think we still try and buy them. Because, you know, I did something particularly nasty this week, so I'm going to put a few extra dollars in the offering plate. Or, or I'm going to go to church, you know, for every service this week because, you know, I, I've been that guy this week. I, we still try and buy indulgences, don't we? We still try and, and, and do the good thing to cover up the bad thing. All we're trying to do is buy an indulgence from God. Christ has paid it all. We do not, God doesn't sell indulgences. Neither does the church. No church does anymore. So Luther was reacting to this. He was reacting to say, wait, faith gives us righteousness. The grace of God gives us salvation. Where do indulgences fit? It's almost today's karma argument, you know? Piling up enough good karma to outweigh the bad karma. Same idea. We have this bent in us as human beings that we want to do this. Christ paid full price. We do not need to buy an indulgence from God. He doesn't have any for sale. Because the price, your price, has already been paid. So we are declared innocent. We are declared righteous. We are given salvation by the grace of God. We are declared righteous by faith in Christ. And faith in Christ alone. 
Sola Vida, faith alone. Now at the end of this verse is a quote from Habakkuk 2, verse 4. The righteous shall live by faith. This is another word that, that, or, or another phrase that goes from Hebrew to Greek. When it goes from Hebrew to Greek, there's an interesting uh, aspect to this because the, the Greek can be, it, it can be translated either the righteous shall live by faith or it can be translated the righteous by faith shall live. We are given life by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it is literally true that the righteous by faith shall live. It's also true that by faith we should live, that, that righteousness is living by faith. So you can see how this phrase turns, and it's true both ways. The righteous do live by faith, and the righteous by faith have life. Both of these are true. That's, that's the only life we can have. That's another gift of salvation, of the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ is life. We have life in the gospel. Life eternal. New life. It's so often described in the New Testament as new birth to new life. It's so often, it's, it's even described that way in the Exodus. New birth to new life. All in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us. It gives us, in the, in the power of the gospel, we have salvation by grace. We have righteousness, justification by faith. And we have a restored relationship with God. We have life. So the question is, whom do you trust? Whom do you trust? Are you trusting your righteousness? Are you trusting your, your power to live according to what God says? Are you trusting that you can scratch your way to heaven or buy your way to heaven? Because there is only one way. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death for your sin, rose on the third day to give you life and to reign in your life. That's the only way to heaven. There is no indulgence. There is only Christ. Do you know Christ? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. Because there's no more important question that I could ask you than this one. Do you know Christ? Do you have a restored relationship with God because you have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ? You can it's a simple prayer. You can just follow along with me. You say, God, I know I have sin in my life. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. I've done things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus died 
in my place on that cross. He died to pay my price. So I ask you to forgive me, not because of anything I could ever do, but because of what Jesus has done. And I ask you to come into my life. Give me life. Give me righteousness. Declare me innocent. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you need to let somebody know. Come and let me know. Elbow your neighbor and let them know. Maybe this morning you know Christ, but as you look at, as you think through the phrase, the righteous shall live by faith, you realize that your faith is in you, not in him. Will you take a moment right now to ask God to forgive that? And to place your faith, to trust him for what he's going to do in your life. Father, we thank you for this reminder. We thank you for your word. And it, and it reminds us today that we live by faith. Faith in you, not us. Faith in, in you, not our government, not leaders, not just faith in you. Help us to place today in your hands and this week in your hands, each day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?